Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day there and welcome to the latest Oliver's Insights podcast. This week, we're going to have a look at the outlook for share markets. From their lows last year, global and US shares are up around 17%, and Australian shares are up around about 13%, as investors have been buoyed by evidence of peaking inflation, anticipation that central banks are near the top in terms of interest rates, resilient economic growth and profits, and enthusiasm, more recently, for artificial intelligence following the launch of ChatGPT late last year, and that, of course, has pushed up related stocks. This has resulted in a solid year-to-date returns. But is it sustainable? Recent weeks have partly been dominated by the political soap opera around the US debt ceiling. A deal has now been reached suspending the ceiling out to January 2025 with caps on spending. There is still room for setbacks in terms of getting it passed by Congress ahead of Treasury's 5 June deadline, after which the US Treasury will start to run out of money. But odds are it will pass providing a short-term boost for share markets. Of course, you could already argue that much of that has been discounted into share markets, so maybe the boost will be fairly minor. But I guess the key is that we will now be able to move on to focus on other things. However, the problem is that right now there is still a large worry list for shares beyond the issues associated with the debt ceiling. Firstly, share market gains from last year's lows have so far been more narrowly based, favouring defensive or growth sectors like technology relative to cyclicals and value stocks than would normal normally be the case at this point in the economic cycle. In fact, so far this year, AI or artificial intelligence related stocks have accounted for all of the rise in the US S&P 500 and the Dow Jones index is actually flat year to date. Secondly, this is another another item on the worry list, leading economic indicators are continuing to point to a high risk of recession in the US and elsewhere. This can be seen in, for example, inverted yield curves and the US leading economic index, which is well and truly into territory associated with recession. By leading economic index, I refer to the one produced by the conference board in the US, which puts together a whole bunch of things, such as approvals to build new homes, confidence reports, and so on. Of course, all of those things are very weak. Thirdly, on that worry list, a recession would mean a sharp decline in company profits, which is not currently expected by the consensus. Fourthly, the Chinese economic recovery has started to disappoint recently. In particular, it's concentrated in services as opposed to manufacturing. This may mean less of an impetus for global economic growth. You can see that, for example, in business surveys in relation to China, where they're quite strong in relation to services, but you know, softish in relation to manufacturing. Fifthly, if we look at commodity prices, we see weakness in copper prices, many metal prices generally, oil prices, even the iron ore prices of its high. And this would suggest that, we, that demand for those items is starting to weaken, which is consistent with slower growth. On the back of all of this, we're seeing the Aussie dollar being relatively soft, having broken down through the 66 US cent level a week or so ago. And of course, this is all partly related to concerns about manufacturing in China and the Chinese economic recovery underperforming compared to expectations. And of course, that partly explains why the Aussie share market this year is up, say, around 2.5%, whereas global shares are up 9%, contrary to what we expected at the start of the year. Sixthly, there's issues around the US banking system. And we've been talking about that about these now for a couple of months. Um, but those issues, that stress is still there, and that's resulting in tightening lending standards as other banks seek to avoid 
avoid a federal takeover as has already occurred with several US banks. And of course, when that occurs, it wipes out the shareholders. So we're seeing US banks behave relatively cautious in terms of their lending. In addition to all of this, one might think that once the debt ceiling is increased or suspended out to January 2025, which is the proposal according to the current deal, then that means the end of the matter. The problem is that that deal has come with a cap on government spending, which is equivalent to about 0.2 to 0.3% less of government spending over the course of the next year or so. So that's a bit of a drag. And secondly, the US Treasury has been running down its account at the US Federal Reserve. So that makes taking taking money away from the Fed, which is the bank for the US Treasury, and pumping that money to the US economy. Now, when the US Treasury or the US government starts to borrow again and issue debt once the debt ceiling is suspended or increased, then that money will be sucked back out again, which means a liquidity drag, which could weigh on certain parts of the share market, for example, tech stocks. An eighth point to make is that central banks look like they're getting close to the top, but many of them still remain pretty hawkish and risk doing more. If we look at the Reserve Bank of New Zealand last week, it reached 5.5% for their cash rate. It looks to have peaked. Similar story with the Bank of Canada, which has a cash rate of 4.5%. However, when we look at the ECB at 3.25%, the Bank of England at 4.5%, looks like they have further to go. Then when we look at the Fed and the RBA, they both seem very concerned about sticky inflation. We think they have done enough, but their bias is towards further tightening. At this stage, the Fed is likely to pause at its June meeting, although I'd have to say that's a very close call, but there is a strong probability now they will move again in July and there is risk on the upside beyond that. Similarly, in Australia, we're seeing continuing hawkish commentary from the Reserve Bank with risks around wages, poor productivity growth and rising home prices. Of course, the Reserve Bank does not target home prices, but it will be concerned that with house prices now going up as opposed to down, it will get a positive wealth effect, which will actually stimulate spending in the economy as to as opposed to when prices were falling. So that will concern it to some degree. On wages, and this I think is critical, it's very important to watch the upcoming June minimum wage decision. I think that will be announced in June sometime uh, because if a 7% minimum wage rise is announced, which would be compensation for inflation over the last 12 months, um, as per the claims of some, then that would uh, directly add around 0.5% to wages growth. And when you put that together with the indirect effect of the um, the fact that when you increase minimum wages and award wages, it has an influencing effect on other wages, along with a 15% rise in work in wages for age care workers, along with faster public sector wages growth, particularly federally and in New South Wales and Victoria, the risk is that wages growth could be pushed beyond levels consistent with the inflation target. So roughly speaking, and this is very rough, um, to achieve that 2 to 3% inflation target, if we assume something like 1.5% productivity over the long term, then a wage level consistent with that would be somewhere between 3 to 4%. And of course, that is a very rough analysis. In fact, that, that assumes a conservative productivity assumption of around 1%. Problem recently, of course, is that productivity growth has been somewhat below that. In fact, it's been somewhat negative. But the point is that the Reserve Bank will get very concerned if wages growth stretches out beyond 4% or much beyond 4%. All this means that the risk of further interest rate increases in Australia is quite high. Further rate hikes, we think, will exacerbate the economic downswing and add to the already high risk of Australia sliding into recession. Another point is investor sentiment. And this one's less clear. If we look at the investor sentiment indicator that we put together, it's on the optimistic side. In other words, investors are leaning optimistic, which is bearish from a contrarian perspective. And you can say that's a negative for the share market. I am conscious, though, 
that investor positioning, when you look at various surveys, is somewhat underweight shares, which you could argue is positive from a contrarian perspective. So I'd have to say that the message from investor sentiment is a bit mixed, but on balance, I'd say it leans more towards being a bit of a negative for the market. And finally, it's worth noting, and I think we all know this, that the period from May to September is often rough for shares seasonally. Yes, we do get a bit of a bounce or weakness into June, then a bounce in July, particularly in Australia. Maybe that's tax loss selling uh, or the impact of tax loss selling after the end of the financial year. Investors have to buy back in after selling their losing stocks to reduce their capital gains tax bill. But the trend from here, particularly out to September, October, is known to be quite weak for share markets. So there are all the negatives. That's the row list. But it's not all negative. There are some positives out there and it's worth going through some of these. The first one is that US and global shares, not so much Australian shares, but US and global shares have been tracing out a pattern of rising lows and highs from last October from October last year, which technically is consistent with them still being in a bull market. Secondly, so far, global economic conditions have held up far better than feared. In fact, when you look at business surveys, and I like to focus on the PMIs, surveys of purchasing managers within businesses all around the world, they've improved since late last year and suggest that growth will surprise on the upside. Related to this, so far, many company profits results globally have held up better than expected. The complication, of course, in all of this is that the strength in those PMIs, in those business surveys, may be exaggerating things a bit as it's being driven mainly by services, with manufacturing being quite weak. And unfortunately, it's normally manufacturing is normally a better guide to cyclical conditions and is warning of weaker conditions ahead. So a bit of a mixed read from that one. But generally speaking, when you look at business surveys, they look reasonably solid so far. Third point on the positive side is that inflationary pressures, and I think this is critically important, look to have peaked and are receding. Maybe not quickly enough for central banks, but they are starting to go in the right direction. Business conditions PMI surveys show a continuing downtrend in input and output prices for manufacturing and services. Order backlogs are well down from where they were back in 2021, 22, say 18 months ago. And delivery times are way compared, are way improved compared to where they were a year or 18 months ago. At the same time, labour markets are gradually becoming less tight with slowing job openings. All of those things point to an easing in inflationary conditions or pressures. Reflecting this, along with other indicators, our pipeline inflation indicators for the US and Australia have continued to fall, pointing to a further decline in inflation ahead. If correct, this will provide scope for central banks to ease monetary policy later this year or early next year. And fourth, enthusiasm for artificial intelligence or AI has the potential to push share markets higher directly in terms of IT stocks that will benefit from later demand associated with an upgrade to AI, but also be a productivity boost to high labour industries that will boost growth and profits and lower labour costs and provide some offset to the shortage of workers that we're now seeing, particularly as populations slow down and workforces age. Of course, as we saw in the, with the late 1990s tech boom, the benefits could take time to materialise and investor interest could get frothy, setting up a short-term pullback, even though we see that longer-term benefit. So what are the implications of all of this for investors? We remain of the view that shares will do AK on a 12-month horizon as central banks ease as inflation cools, um, hopefully starting later this year in terms of what central banks do on interest rates. But given the long list of negatives that we've referred to, particularly the risks around recession and central banks going too far in terms of rate hikes in the short term, global and Australian shares are vulnerable over the next few months to a potential correction. There are several implications of all this for investors. Unlike last year, government bonds should provide protection for investors as bond yields have potential to fall if recession worries rise. It's a very different situation last year where the, the standard common threat was higher inflation, which pushed up bond yields. Bad news for 
for bond values and push down share markets. For short-term investors, I think it's a time to be cautious. However, while times like these can be stressful for superannuation members and most investors, the best approach is to stick to basic investment principles. This may sound repetitive, as I've often put podcasts out and Oliver's insights out referring to these things, but these things are always worth keeping in mind. The first one is share market pullbacks are healthy and normal. Their volatility is the price we pay for higher returns they provide or shares provide over the longer term. Secondly, it's very hard to time market moves. So the key, I think, is to stick to an appropriate long-term investment strategy. Thirdly, selling shares after a big fall just locks in a loss with no hope of recovery. Fourthly, share market pullbacks provide opportunities for investors to invest long-term. If you look back historically, you see lots of opportunities. Trouble is, when people look forward, they see lots of risks. So you've really got to see pullbacks as providing opportunities. Shares invariably bottom with maximum bearishness. That's the fifth point. So when everyone around you is bearish, it's often not a good time to sell. Sixth point, Australian shares still offer what I think are attractive income yields versus bank deposits. And very finally, we are in a world where there's lots of noise out there via social media or even traditional media trying to compete with social media. And that, of course, um, makes the world seem very uncertain, a lot more than it used to be. To avoid getting thrown off a good long-term strategy, I think it's best to try and find ways to turn down the noise around all that negative news flow. So I hope that's been of value. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.